This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiaoik. This is NCD Chronicles, a series where we go beyond the disease diagnosis to look at the lived experiences and real challenges faced by people who have non-communicable diseases. I think something that people with psoriatic disease have to accept is that this disease and this condition has no cure. On this episode, I'll be speaking to two individuals who have been diagnosed with psoriatic disease. That was Rock Yi Wong, who's been living with psoriasis since the age of nine. So the reason for me sharing my story, um, I would like to quote this, only by healing loudly, others do not need to suffer in silence. And so this is a small gift that I can give to fellow psoriasis warriors is to share my story. And that's Liu Weizi, who was diagnosed much more recently. I'll also be getting insights from a consultant dermatologist who practices at two government hospitals as well as several private hospitals in the Klang Valley. Because psoriasis is a skin disease, so it is visible. And the places where they have the lesions are the areas that is visible. For example, the face, on the hands, on the nails. So it actually causes a lot of um, psychological impact for the patient. This is something that I took many, many years to accept because I've always been trying so many treatments and there were a lot of empty promises from a lot of different sources. So when you were still hopeful, you would try your best to believe in what people are offering because you are just trying your best to hung yourself on, on, onto any source of hope that life is able to offer you. And I think it took me years to accept the fact that like, okay, nobody's going to save me. <laughs> and I need to take charge to find out what is it about psoriasis that is affecting me? How can I live peacefully with it? And also truly understand what is my health history and also come to terms with how would I explain what are the package that comes with living with psoriasis and to just be very realistic about moving forward with my own life understand my limitations but also truly making use of my strength that's Rock Yi Wong she describes herself as a ball of sunshine. So I have psoriasis since the age of nine. Um, that's when my symptoms started to appear. But I only got my proper diagnosis at the age of 14. And right now I am 29 years old. It has been, how many years? 16? <laughs> that is a long time. Oh my God. <laughs> And I'm just here trying to live my life in a very fulfilling way. Has your condition taken that away from you? Yeah, like everything, I would say. At, a, at one point of time, like I couldn't see light at all because I was living with a condition that doesn't allow me to... Like it has uh, implicated a lot of limitations on my life. Took away my dreams, took away my identity took away my joy, basically. Like, I was very really young when I had psoriasis. 
And when I was young girl, 14 years old, you wouldn't know anything besides just wanting to be pretty. <laughs> I guess like, I think that's that's very relatable. Uh, but yes, I really wanted just to be pretty. I just wanted to be just a normal girl wearing nice clothes, looking nice and like check out boys. <laughs> yeah, it sounds stupid, but it's very real. I think psoriasis took that away from me. Yeah. Rock Yi lived almost her entire childhood since the age of nine with this debilitating and physically visible skin condition. It started on my scalp. So in the beginning, my family and I just thought that it would be like normal dandruff problems where we buy a lot of head and shoulder. <laughs> so there was a lot of confusion in the beginning, a lot of dandruff struggles, a lot of mornings when you woke up with your pillowcase filled with blood. And because the condition progression was so slow that I thought that it was normal. So until... At a point of time, uh, somebody else came to my house and they took a look at my scalp and they, they were like, okay, this is not normal. You need to go and um, see a doctor. And I was 14 at a point of time. So that was when I got my proper first diagnosis. I didn't know what was going on except just living in pain every day. I would shower with an open wound on my scalp. Can you imagine? Like It, it feels like squeezing lemon on your cut. So it feels like that every single day and I thought it was normal. So this is what lack of awareness can do to us. Like when we were going through the struggle, the pain and the symptoms itself, like we had no idea why. Ever had an itchy rash that persisted stubbornly for several days? Remember that vicious cycle of itch, relief and pain? Now imagine living with this only on a daily basis. Wazy describes it as... Hell. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's really like unbearable. Then I just kept scratching. Then like the moment when I scratch, oh, it feel good because like, you know, endorphin or maybe like uh, masking the painful feeling. But then after scratching, then it will bleed or like will get worse. Then I'm like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> so the funny thing is when I wear flipper, you know, the slipper, right? The rubber strap would like friction against the feet. And then it would like create the patches around the 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 area and then I couldn't wear the slipper anymore. So uh yeah, the chemical, yes, when I wash dishes, the the hands would be like a small red like bumps all over and then like uh, skin peeling and then Another thing is like when I bathe, it will be like another hell because like uh, the water, the chemical from the soap and the shampoo will pass by all the patches and then yeah, it will be really painful and sting. Even like hours after bathing, it will still uh, hurt a lot and then still be like fiery red kind of patches. But then I just ignore it. I first got it on my scalp and the area affected slowly and gradually expanded and... That's when my rashes, that's when my psoriasis lesions started to uh, spread to my whole body. So ever since then, it started with gutted psoriasis. So gutted psoriasis is like small dots on the body. And right now, uh, it became plaque psoriasis where it appeared more like a world map. It's like one patch, one patch instead of one dots, one dots. And over the years, at the age of 17 to 18, I started developing nail psoriasis on my toenails. And um, two years ago, I started having nail psoriasis on my fingernails. 
Generally, people don't know how to respond to someone with psoriasis. And sometimes, the biggest barrier can be your own family. For Rong Yi, her family was both her support system, but also a challenge to navigate. I think when it comes to my parents, there were just a lot of um, anxiousness and panic because they didn't exactly understand what skin condition is because nobody in my family has it. Nobody was talking about eczema or psoriasis and how it would affect somebody's lives. All they were trying to do is to put me on many, many types of treatments where I felt like majority of my younger days, I lived my life as a lab rat. Like I felt like I have not stopped taking medicine since the age of 14. And as much as they tried their best to care for me, do what they think is best for me, but in the end of the day, we need to also understand there is a difference between taking action from the space of love and taking action from the space of rejection. Because in the end of the day, I think our parents' generation, they still have a lot of stigma and misunderstanding when it comes to skin condition where they think that is not something that you should have. It is something that you should get rid of. I understand is the way they love me, the way that they are trying to do the best for me, but I can't help but to feel the rejection from them, where it also stems from how they are brought up and the culture that they lived in. Uh, it took me a long time to kind of like dissect what was really going on. And the challenging thing is to understand from their point of view and my point of view and to just look at things in a more sensible and rational way and to not take it personally. It's not like my parents were rejecting me. It's because they were trying to love me. So it was one of the hardest things I learned from my experience. Both Rong Yi and Wei Zi also share similar experiences of receiving, shall we say, less than reassuring diagnoses from their doctors. I remember my first experience of diagnosis we waited two, three hours just to see the doctor. And when we sat down, he looked at my skin in less than two minutes and he told me, oh, this is psoriasis, it has no cure. I was 14 at a point of time and I didn't know how to feel back then because you were just a kid. In your head, you were thinking like, ah, huh? just skin conditions, just some dots on my body. If I can use some cream and it will go away. And that's what happened. Like that's what happened when the doctor gave me creams. It didn't help for a very long time. Like it just helped for a while. But the whole experience was pretty, I would say, robotic. Like I didn't feel like the doctor was dealing with a human. I mean, understandable because he was so busy. But um, yeah, the whole process just felt really cold and I didn't feel like it was a very humane process, basically, yeah. I went to the doctor saying like, oh, I want to treat my eczema. Then after that, 
he diagnosed then he said oh it's psoriasis so I was very shocked at that time la. like like how huh, what is psoriasis this is my first time hearing and then it's made worse by my doctor showing me all the pictures of the psoriatic uh, arthritis all the joint deformities and then he straight away said uh, if you don't treat it you become like this all the fingers all like crooked like swollen so I was very very shocked that time and then after that when I go home I google more about it so it was like panic attack like oh my god oh my god there are all, all these complications uh, there are like uh, heart complications eye complication uh, joint complication like even spine like it will affect so many things then I was like very very scared la, like a lot of panic attacks when I research about this so I would like keep crying la, because I felt very anxious and um, it was like a dark scary lonely journey of discovering about psoriasis la. Interestingly, their experiences are telling of two kinds of approaches by healthcare providers. For Rong Yi, one that didn't detail the chronicity of psoriasis, but presumably that was partly due to the fact that 15 years ago, the medical fraternity knew less about the disease. But as for Weizi, her more recent diagnosis was delivered at the other extreme to emphasise the severity of the possible complications. One can understand why doctors today are quicker to stress that psoriasis should not be underestimated. I asked consultant dermatologist Dr. Azura Muhammad Afandi about the other complications of psoriasis. Many people think that psoriasis is just a skin disease where it's not. So apart from affecting the joints, it's also actually associated with other non-communicable diseases. For example, like patients with psoriasis, we found they, they actually have a higher risk of developing diabetes, high blood pressure, even cardiovascular disease, a stroke. So those are the things that we will monitor and we will look for in patients, especially in patients with a long history of psoriasis. I think the link is because of a chronic inflammation. Hence the reason why we need to treat it early to help reduce the um, inflammation and hence uh, prevent all these um, other diseases from developing. Worldwide, it's estimated between um, 1% to 3% um, people living with uh, psoriasis. Um, in Malaysia, although we do not have the accurate um, incidence and also the prevalence, but uh, we actually have a Malaysian psoriasis registry where doctors actually report um, cases of um, psoriasis, but this is not a compulsory uh, reporting. So on the registry, we have about um, up till 2019, the data reported about um, 23,000 um, patients living with psoriasis, but the number is definitely underestimated um, because as I've mentioned, it's just a voluntary reporting by the doctors. So we are estimating a much higher than that. If we are saying about 1% to 3%, so if we take Malaysian population, it's about 32 million now, so it could be around 300,000. And some patients do not seek a treatment with the doctors, they just self-purchase a cream, so it is underreported. In fact, if 1% to 3% of the population is estimated to have psoriasis, we could be seeing almost a million people with the condition. And that means the treatment burden is huge. But the picture is a complex one, often with no clear answers for patients. We'll hear more from Rock Yi, Wei Zi and Dr. Azura after the break. This is NCD Chronicles, our series that goes behind the diagnosis of non-communicable diseases. 
Stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik, on another episode of NCD Chronicles. We're featuring psoriatic disease today, an autoimmune condition that can lead to itchy and painful patches widespread all over the skin, as well as swollen and stiff joints and many other comorbidities. Treatment options for psoriatic disease are currently available on a wide spectrum. So um, at the moment, we actually have a good treatment that we can offer to patients. Um, but generally, how we decide um, which treatment works best for patient, um, of course, it has to be a mutual agreement between the doctor and patient because not all treatment are suitable, depends on their uh, condition um, and um, patient's willingness also because not everybody wants to be treated with even oral systemic agent once they hear about the side effects and all that, they may not uh, want the systemic agent. We do respect them. In the end, the patient has to agree to be on the treatment. We do not um, force upon any treatment on the patient. It has to be a mutual agreement. We can roughly divide it into four types. First, we have a topical treatment. So that means the creams, ointments. So they just apply on the skin once, twice a day. And then the second um, treatment we have is uh, phototherapy. But at the moment, we only have uh, phototherapy in um, major uh, government hospital that provides dermatology service. But it's not easy for patients to come for phototherapy as well because um, they need to commute to the hospital um, twice a week. And that can also cause a toll on them if they are working or even studying because um, we're not just talking about the treatment, the journey to go to the hospital, the waiting times. And if phototherapy doesn't work, the third treatment option we have is a systemic agent. So what we mean by that is, um, is oral medication. And we have several um, available in the market. So we have uh, methotrexate, uh, cyclosporine, and acetractin. But anything that is consumed orally, patients are bound to get some side effect. Okay? The thing is, we don't know who will develop the side effects. So we will do um, blood tests um, for all patients who are on systemic agent just to check whether they will develop um, long-term side effects. And if the systemic agent fails, then the fourth treatment that's currently available in the market is called uh, biologics. Okay? Biologics are injections. So some injection is every two weeks, some every month, some every two months, every three months. So the doctor will usually discuss with the patient which um, will be more suitable for the patients. But biologics, they are not cheap. In a government hospital, we cannot be uh, treating all patients with budget. Even though it's the most effective um, treatment, uh, we usually reserve it uh, for patients who have more severe disease and if they have failed the traditional oral um, medication. But cost is definitely the hindering factor because um, to treat one patient with biologic, it costs about between twenty to 50,000 uh, ringgit Malaysia per year. And this is for one patient. And the treatment usually has to be indefinite. Um, what we find is once we stop the treatment, then the psoriasis will come back again. It's the same with other treatment as well, whether it's topical or systemic. So what we find is once we uh, stop the treatment, then the disease will come back again. 
That's Dr. Azura Mohammad Afandi, a consultant dermatologist, laying out all the treatment options that people with psoriasis can explore. From the medical perspective, systemic treatment is key to managing the inflammatory aspects of psoriatic disease. Yeah, there are some evidence from studies to show that if we treat a patient early, it does reduce the chances of patient to develop all the other non-communicable diseases like the diabetes, um, even um, joint um, involvement or heart problems. So there are evidence to support um, early effective treatment in patients, especially when they have um, severe psoriasis, because we want to um, tackle and reduce the inflammation as soon as possible before it starts affecting other organs. But it may not be that simple for some patients. Liu Weizi, one of the patients we heard from earlier, was prescribed methotrexate, which suppresses the immune system and led to her bearing the brunt during an infectious disease outbreak like COVID-19. Okay, so the funny thing about it is that uh, methotrexate, I googled that, oh, there are a lot of side effects. And then I, I asked my doctor many times about the side effects and then I asked many, many times and then he always like brush it off. He always say, oh, it's risk-free as long as you follow my treatment, as long as you follow the test. Then Manatao, at the end, um, it impaired my immune system. So with the pandemic this year, within six months, I've gotten COVID for four times due to the impact immune system. I mean, it's true, like, it really heals. So I'm really, really grateful for life without the painful patches and I'm really, really grateful for his good treatment. I mean, I don't blame him because that's what he learned in like the medical field or like all doctors would say that. But then maybe just to uh, a wishful thinking that uh, just to listen more to the uh, psoriasis patients and also maybe wishful thinking that one day the medical system would have a cure that uh, is a holistic that takes care of psoriasis uh, without hurting the immune system. Methotrexate is a type of uh, immune suppressant. So when patients take that, they are at higher risk of developing um, infections. Um, for example, they get lung infections or urine infections. So uh, what we do is we will advise patients that uh, they are at higher risk of um, getting infections. Um, if they develop um, fever, they feel unwell, we usually ask them to um, withhold the uh, methotrexate do some for a while until um, they get better. I mean, all medications are, <laughs> unfortunately, they come with side effect, but if they are, if we monitor them and they come for regular follow-up, usually when we detect any abnormalities, we'll stop and it will return back um, to normal. But things aren't always so rosy for the patients. There are some, like Weizi, who make the difficult decision to stop their treatment when they just can't deal with the side effects. Some healthcare providers call this non-compliance, although that hints at defiance. The truth is, there's a lot more at stake for patients. Weizi stopped her methotrexate after a difficult conversation with her doctor. And she's well aware of her triggers. Now it's still quite stable, just that I have to be very careful. Like let's say um don't take alcohol, if not you will like flare up. I think uh it's stress because last time uh when I was first diagnosed, I was very, very stressed. I think it's like a vicious cycle. So the stress causing more flare-ups and then more flare-ups causing stress. So it's like a cycle. In the medium and long time, I'm not very sure what the future would be like. Especially sometimes like I do notice some like little little buds of like flare up 
popping up. And also the psoriatic arthritis thing, I still do have it occasionally. So I'm not sure the future would be like how, but I think um have to monitor closely as always. Dr. Azura is most concerned about whether patients will turn to unsubstantiated alternative therapies, which could be harmful. There are actually many available alternatives, uh, supplement in the market that people try to promote that it can cure, it can treat psoriasis, but um, there's no um, scientific evidence to it. So we, we try to discourage um, patients from buying all those uh, supplements that they claim can cure or treat psoriasis because we're not sure what the content of those supplements is. They may put a steroid in it, and that's why the skin gets better. But once they stop the supplement or uh, these other um, agents, then the uh, psoriasis will flare, and it can be quite a bad flare that um, needed admission. So we've had uh, encountered numerous um, occasions where patients um, self-purchase uh, supplements that they found on the internet. And then the skin will get better, definitely, but then once they stop or after a while, it starts to lose its efficacy and they can have a, quite a bad flare which needed admission. What Weizi has described is probably only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to problematic side effects and complications, arguably though for some and not all patients. The effects of long-term steroid use is another major contention between patients and doctors. A lot of healthcare providers term this as quote-unquote steroid phobia. Rock E. Wong explains why the skin condition community is worried about the impact of steroid use on their health. So right now we are talking about the conventional medical treatment. And the treatments are um, very affordable. Like I'm very grateful for the availability of these treatments from the government hospital. When I went through this treatment, um, since the age of 16, the, how would I put it, the accountability has always been coming from the doctor. So as patient, we are trying our best to be a good patient. So when the doctor gives you an instruction, you would follow without any doubt. So it didn't really occur to me that I have to do a little bit of research about what I'm getting myself into. So my experience was that I only learned about the side effects of the medicine when I am in the midst of it. I was on topical steroid cream and I've also tried phototherapy. And the side effects of the steroid cream includes uh, skin thinning, easily um, bruised skin. And phototherapy, when it is not carefully managed, um, it would actually increase your um, risk of having skin cancer. And it also cause you permanent scars. I don't know if it's permanent, but like I, it's been 10 years plus and I still have the scars now. So when I learned about this, I felt a little bit angry. Like if I had known about these side effects, maybe I would have thought, twice before I put it on my skin. So I don't know if it would make any difference, but I would for sure be very cautious about using creams and um, going through these treatments. And recently in the skin condition community, we have started to learn about this 
condition called um, topical steroid withdrawal. And it is also called red skin syndrome. So what it is, is basically a drug withdrawal from steroid. So steroid can be absorbed into the body in different ways, like topical, um, oral, as well as inhaler. And I think what we need to learn about steroid and understand about steroid is that it is a man-made stress hormone where it stops the inflammation in our body. But at the same time, our adrenals stop producing cortisol. So when we stop absorbing steroid into our body, our system goes haywire because it is a drug withdrawal. I'm not going to be very specific and scientific about this because for sure, I don't have 100% understanding about this because I don't have it as well. But this is what other people are experiencing right now and the medical uh, system are not really recognizing it and they are not acknowledging it as well. And I, I don't know why. <laughs> so if steroid is so dangerous when it's not managed properly, then why is this drug so available to the public? Because I can just go to the store and get a steroid cream. And the reason why um, we started to have this conversation happening within the skin community is because the patients themselves are advocating for it, but the doctors are not talking about it. So what is the missing link here? And I think it's worth a moment to ask, why are our voices not being heard? When I asked Dr. Azura about this, she says that the use of topical steroids is less likely to produce this withdrawal effect compared to systemic use. The things with steroid, um, topical actually um, not so much as systemic steroid because we do have um, some doctors who prescribe um, systemic steroid, either oral or injection steroids to the patient. We do not practice that because we know that they will get what we call a rebound or as you said, a withdrawal phenomenon. Okay? So what happens is, when they are on steroid, their skin will be okay. But once the steroid is stopped, then they will get the disease worsening or flare because the body is used to steroid already. So usually for a psoriasis patient, we try not to give oral steroid unless it's absolutely indicated. But topical steroid, we do prescribe quite often in our patients, but the strength of it is not high. Topical steroid, actually, there are many strengths and usually we do not give the strongest steroid because we are also um, afraid of this uh, rebound or withdrawal uh, phenomenon. Uh, so usually once a disease is controlled, we will try and give the, the one that is not um, too strong so that it, it's just enough to control the disease. So the medical fraternity says that steroids are safe, while the skin condition community is living a completely opposite reality. Who's right and who's wrong? Or perhaps it isn't so black and white. Perhaps the story of psoriasis needs to be flipped on its head. We often zoom straight into the treatment options and then address the patient's issues later. Maybe we need to start with the person who lives with the condition. It's very important to understand that there is nothing wrong with treatment. Treatments are there to support us, to make our lives easier. I think that they are very important and they are life-saving and it is something that we need desperately as well. 
But the issue arises when we are 100% dependable on it because then we lose the ability and power to kind of like empower ourselves and keep ourselves accountable um, to our health. So I think in the end of the day, it's really trying to find a balance there. Like apart from seeking help, which is for sure necessary, on top of that, how do we help ourselves? We talk a lot about treatments. We talk a lot about group support, right? But what is missing in this conversation today is patient empowerment. Like how do we empower patients so that they can empower each other so that they are not going to be living um, with this condition in a very silo mindset anymore? Because if there is one million of us, why are people still depressed or still ashamed when we have this condition when we know that in reality it should already be normalized but i asked rocky how she balances the patient's daily realities with the ultimate objective of treatment which is at the end of the day to control the ongoing inflammation in the body my concern here is whether people listening to her right now will misinterpret it as license to stop their prescribed treatment without their doctor's advice, hence worsening their condition. She assures me that that's not her intention. I think in the end of the day, I still go back to my main message is that um, treatments are important, right? When you go for treatment, when you choose to be on a treatment, I think as patients ourselves, we need to be very aware of what we are getting ourselves into. And for sure, do not stop the treatment abruptly because you wouldn't know what are the effects that you will face after that. But while we are on the treatment itself, let's start asking questions like, apart from treatment, what can I do to reduce inflammation in my body? And I think that is what missing in the conversation. Like, there's nothing out there kind of like really empowering patients to ask that question. Like, what can we do for ourselves? And it is a question that I ask since the age of 14. Like, okay, I have this skin condition. I know there's no cure. I know there are treatments, but I'm aware that treatments also have a lot of long-term side effects that I might not want to be facing in later days of my life. So while facing this limitation in my options, on top of that, what can I do to improve my condition? What are the things that I can do on a daily basis to make my life and days a little bit easier in living with this psoriatic condition and in slowing down the progression of the condition? And once we find out what we can do for ourselves, I hope that we all do our best because for sure it's not going to be easy because like I say, I've already accepted that I can't live 100% just like people, right? I have to be branded as, oh, Roy is here, Roy can't drink alcohol, Roy is here, Roy cannot eat dairy because it will flare up her skin. But then... If I live my life within this a little bit of limitations, but still allow me to live, allow me to climb Mountain Kinabalu, <laughs> I think this is something that I 
I would willingly sacrifice because essentially I am just changing my my way of living my life in order for me to live more fulfillingly. So if the main goal is to control the inflammation and biologics can do just that and extremely effectively, why aren't more patients on it? Dr. Azura had earlier already alluded to the main barrier, and that's the cost. Rong Yi echoes her concerns about why biologics are not reaching as many people as they should. They call biologics as a miracle drug, which I think it is. I think it is basically one of the, one of the easiest way out of uh, living with psoriatic condition. And I have nothing against it. And I think that it is very important for people who are living with psoriatic disease as well because for people who are affected with psoriatic arthritis, they cannot move. They can't live their lives. They can't get out of the bed in the morning. And I've seen how this medicine, biologics treatment, literally saved my friend's life. So I think it's important, but I also have to be very realistic, the fact that like it is very expensive. So if you ask me in the future, would I ever be on biologics? I would say, I wouldn't say no, because I don't know what's going to happen to me 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. But it is also a reality that today, as a person living with psoriatic disease, I cannot afford it. It takes about twenty-five to 50000 a year just to live a normal life. And I, I think we need to be very realistic. Not everybody can afford it. According to a white paper by the Galen Centre on Health and Social Policy, psoriasis treatment is not covered by some health insurance providers, while psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis are not classified as critical illnesses. So what do patients do if they can't afford it? So then we come back to the conversation. So right now, if I have this limitation in option, then, okay, what can I do for myself? Let's try that first, maybe, you know, and... Do the best for ourselves and then then you only consider, okay, what are the things that can help me to manage and live with this condition? I think that would be a little bit more empowering instead of, hey, this biologics is a miracle drug. Nah, pay for it. Yeah. It sucks, you know, like when you see your friends traveling and then you look at your bank account, you need to allocate a huge sum of money just to pay uh, for a medical bill. So it sucks, but it's our reality. I asked Rock Yi and Dr. Azura what changes they would like to see to ensure that people with psoriasis get more support. I think when it comes to changes, we need as many people as possible. And this is the reason why awareness, awareness itself is so important. Support group is so important. We need voices from the patients to tell the public how suffering it is to really live with psoriatic disease and the fact that psoriatic disease is not just skin. It is way more than that. It is a disability and it could also be fatal in some of the cases when it's very severe. So we need to recognize how serious this is and gather the voices from the people and hopefully to push for policy change like policy change when it comes to insurance policy and as well as um, support from the healthcare system from our country 
making more advanced treatments more accessible so that people don't have to suffer so much. So uh, there's a lot of work to do. Mm. <laughs> but I think the landscape is changing. If anyone that is listening right now, if you have psoriatic disease, if you have um, psoriasis or any sort of a skin condition, please volunteer at your um, support group in your local communities and slowly get in touch with the decision makers in your country, in your community as well. And we always start small. But when people come together, you might be surprised what can be achieved. We should remain hopeful, but we should also be accountable for the change for tomorrow. One thing, we do not have many dermatologists in Malaysia. There's only about 200 dermatologists covering the whole population of Malaysia. So the numbers are definitely few. There's only about between uh, 30 to 40 in government and the rest are in um, private sectors. So especially in the government setting, definitely there's a very low number of uh, practicing dermatologists. Mm. So sometimes it may take a longer time for patients to see a dermatologist uh, before the correct diagnosis and management um, being made. Okay, so they may get frustrated that they do, not, they do not get to see the specialist early, especially if we're talking about the government setting. Sorry. And bulk of the patients actually seek treatment in government hospitals. Because it's a chronic disease, so um, the, the treatment cost can be quite high if you don't have a uh, insurance. Uh, most patients prefer to come to a government setting because of the cost factor in a private uh, setting. And um, also, we would like psoriasis also to be recognized as um, as a, one of the chronic diseases. Because the other thing that we encounter is it's uh, all these treatment, um, especially biologics, they are not reimbursable by the insurance. So we have patients who are, who are eligible and they agree to be on biologics, but unfortunately, we do not. Uh, we are not able to prescribe because the insurance, uh, uh, they do not cover for um, the, the treatment. But it is important to treat early um, to prevent um, worsening and also to reduce the um, inflammation. We've said so many times, right? It's not just a skin disease, but it's also not just a physical condition. You know, you've talked about people who live with depression because of what they go through. So I think there's a significant emotional and mental burden, right, coming from living with psoriasis. Yes, I've dealt with it since the age of nine until 14, until now. Though there were days where it was really, really hard. Like, I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to uni. I didn't want to go for, like, any activities. And, like, when my friend ajak me to go beach trip at the age of 17, that time it was right after SPM. Like, I was afraid to go, but I wanted to go. So when they were there, I was at home crying because, like, but I really want to go. But... I don't dare to go, you know, like small things like this. And I have to, I had to come to terms with my limitations. Like I cannot deal with stress because it will flare my condition. So there are a lot of changes in terms of my dreams as well. I wanted to be a corporate lady, actually. I'm, I'm glad I didn't learn right now. <laughs> 
But when it comes to mental health, when it comes to the psychological impact of living with psoriatic disease in the scene of Southeast Asia, I think ultimately what is affecting us the most is our shame and our guilt. I'm very shameful because I don't have nice skin. How would someone ever be able to accept and love me? Is someone going to marry me? And if nobody's going to marry me, like I would feel very unwanted for the rest of my life, right? And I mean, not to say we should feel that way, but like we are talking about the main concerns of um, living with uh, psoriatic disease. Because those are the norms. That those are the brought- norms, yes, because those are the norms. And when it comes to guilt, is that like I would keep blaming my own body for betraying me. Like I'm trying to live a normal life. Why are you giving me this stupid skin thing? <laughs> And like this skin thing, it flakes and it's so embarrassing. I can't even wear the nice dress. Like I don't even know how my life is going to be, you know. Like I wouldn't even know like tomorrow I might wake up with joint pain. I can't even move an inch. Those are the fear and the concern that we live in on a day-to-day basis. Can you imagine like dating as a normal person? It's stressful, right? Can you imagine dating with a skin condition where it's like on your face? So that was like anything you, anything normal people want to do, it is 10 times harder for us. Even a simple action, as simple as stepping out of the house, we need to think about what to wear, what to expose, like which part of our skin to expose, which part to cover. So it takes a lot of courage just to show up. And I think I would really, really hope that if you see anybody with skin condition, understand that it took a lot of courage for, the, for them to just show up. And the least thing that you can do is to just be normal with it. Like, we don't need you to sympathize or like purposely taking care of us, but like just treat us as normal human being. I think that would be the best thing that you can do for the skin condition community. Rocky, a lot of people who are listening have probably expressed the same insecurities and fears that you talked about. What words of hope do you have for them? I don't think words are enough, honestly. And that's the reason why I've been sharing my life on social media. Like, I recently just got into a relationship. I'm gonna cry. So I recently got into a relationship and growing up, I never knew how love should look like for people like us because ultimately it's super hard because we don't even believe that we are worthy of love and acceptance because we couldn't find it in ourselves. So like, the life that I'm living right now, like being able to be okay with what I have and being loved as how I am, as I am. It was something that I struggled to believe for my whole life. 
that's the reason why I say words can never be enough because I need to show it. Like even though like we can't be 100% sure of anything, right? Even though if my relationship may fail one day, but I want to show people that it is normal, you know? Like it's normal to go through processes of life even though we have a skin condition. So... I think the light of the tunnel is always going to be there. It is up to us whether or not we have enough courage to keep climbing and keep digging. And I think God would always reward people who try. I think trying itself makes a whole lot of difference because I think I'm I'm just trying. And I because I try and I manage to kind of like live a life that I thought it was impossible when I was younger and I'm grateful for the fact that I'm trying so let's keep trying but it's not enough for individuals like Rock Yi, Oezi and many more to just try on their own as the white paper from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy has pointed out, the burden of psoriasis is disproportionately borne by individuals living with the condition. A lot more needs to be done to recognise psoriasis as a serious non-communicable disease and to address the systemic issues in order to improve diagnosis, access to treatment and more funding. Listening to Rock Yi and Weizi, it's clear that there is a heavy burden that they bear along with others in the psoriasis community. The impact of the condition, the effects of stigma, and the constant push and pull over their treatment decisions. It's not an easy path they walk, but they shouldn't have to walk it alone. This has been NCD Chronicles, a series featuring the experiences and challenges of people with non-communicable diseases. If you missed any part of the show or previous episodes, you can search for it on bfm.my or on our BFM app. You've been listening to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.